Even though next week is Christmas, so we'll do two Christmas messages. And uh, I will be speaking out of Matthew today, specifically on Joseph's dilemma, which we're going to read about when we get to the text. If we could turn to Matthew chapter 1. And I get the awkward job of trying to pronounce all these names in a genealogy. So I should call somebody else to come up here and read this. Put them on the spot. Starting in verse 1, I will read to verse 23. Then I will preach out of verses 18 to 23 today. <coughs> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Sarah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimadad, and Abimadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asap, and Asap the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jerome, and Jerome the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeoconim, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Elkim, and Elkim the father of Azar. Nazar the father of Zodak, and Zodak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elib, and Elud the father of Elazar, and Elazar the father of Matain, and Matain the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to the to Babylon, to the Christ, 14 generations. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for... We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's ministry in our hearts. 
that illuminates this reality, this truth, Father God, this revelation that without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we still be in the darkness, even though the light came into the world. If it wasn't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we still be in darkness, God. We thank you for everything the Holy Spirit does in our life. As he opens up our heart to receive Christ, he opens up our minds that we can understand Christ, and he opens up our will and empowers us to live for Christ. And we thank you, Father God. Breathe upon this Christmas message I ask, Father God, as we enter into Joseph's dilemma in Jesus' name. Amen. 1984, there was a little upstart company based out of Utah who started offering people uh, within the Mormon community the ability to find out their genetic makeup. This led naturally to the company as we know today, Ancestry.com. It's become one of the fastest growing companies in the world, serving over 70 million people. It seems like the whole world all of a sudden has gone, uh, how could you say, genealogically mad. All of a sudden, everybody wants to know, who am I? What's my family? Am I Irish? Am I Scottish? Where do I come from? What are my relatives like? Talking to my sister at Thanksgiving, she got caught up in this, and uh, I was like, don't tell me anything. I'm not too sure if I really want to know. But she told me, and uh, just like I guess, I'm Irish and Scottish and and German. But anyway, there's something innate in man that drives them to this curiosity. There's something, because it's available now. Now that you know you can find out, guess what? It stirs up a a natural curiosity to find out. Like, you know, to me, honestly, big deal. Because if they had it really nailed down, it'd go all the way back to Adam. And guess what? I already know that. So science is finding out what the theologians already know. We all go back to Adam. But there is an innate curiosity in some people to generally find out. Especially people who have been adopted find this innate desire for some kind of closure in their life. Some closure about their relatives, about their parents. Others have gone through great lengths to find this out. And have a great sense of relief when they find out certain things about their ancestry, about their parents. All questions cannot be answered. But we can see today, and if we had a show of hands, we'd probably find many people in this room have already done that today. Nothing wrong with it. I see a hand, one honest hand. I see two honest hands. A couple of fingers. All right, we're getting there. Praise God. But isn't there an innate curiosity? I'm too busy thinking about other things. I don't have time to do that. But if I didn't have anything, I'd probably do it. But the point is, this is where our story of Christmas begins. Because the Jews were sticklers on keeping exact records about their ancestry. Sticklers. The whole Old Testament is filled with genealogies. Genesis is filled with five long lists of genealogy that structures the whole book of Genesis. And it sets apart the whole book of the Old Testament. And here we have the New Testament is starting in the same way. There were sticklers. And there was three great reasons why the Jew wanted to know this. And this is why Matthew was writing his gospel. The first was to track certain land grants God gave uh, at the time of Joshua to the 12 tribes. 
When he conquered the land under God's direction, he portioned out a piece to the 12 tribes. And then the 12 tribes took it upon themselves to portion out the land. So you had to know who you were if you had any land. You have to remember, 2,000 years ago in Palestine and before, if you had land, guess what? You had You had nothing. That was their inheritance. God gave them land to till and to sow. Agriculture. To live. You had to know who you are. You just can't show up and say, you know something, that portion of land over there is mine. It had to be written out. It was also for the sole purpose of certain gifts that God gave to certain tribes, specifically Aaron's descendants, the tribe of Levi. No one can just become a priest to God. No one just become a high priest. You had to have the lineage. You had to have the pedigree. And to do this, there had to be exact records. And the Jews were a nation of exact records. And the third one, which is probably the most important, there was promise out of the Jewish nation, a great king was to come. He was called the Christ, or the Messiah, the anointed one, a special messenger from God. And if he was going to come, he had to fill certain requirements, and he had to have special credentials. And two of those, he had to be son of Abraham, and he had to be son of David. God made two promises to Abraham, and another one promise to Abraham, another promise to David, that a son would come, a child would come, this special messenger that the whole world would be blessed to. He had to fill that credential. So Matthew's not uh, writing something that's boring. 2,000 years ago to the first century Jew who was entertaining the thoughts, I wonder if Jesus is really the Messiah. That's what Matthew is writing about. He's writing to Jews who have not been converted. And he's writing a, a tract to them called the Gospel of Matthew. To prove that Jesus Christ is of the right lineage. He has the pedigree. And he is the king of Israel. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. We have to get to the 24th chapter when we see Christ hanging on the cross. And by Pilate was put Jesus, king of the Jews. along with a very special promise through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin would give birth to a child. All Jews throughout the centuries looked forward to that day. And they'd even hoped that personally maybe they would be part of that day. We see that in the book of Luke when Simeon saw the child and said, Blessed is the Redeemer of Israel. He longed to see that. He represented the righteous Jew who longed for Messiah to come. They waited for Messiah. They were under oppression. They longed for the deliverer of Judah and Zion to come. They waited anxiously. They even hoped that maybe they could be part of that plan. So these records served a great purpose in their religious Life in their everyday, ordinary life. These were promises of God. 
It's similar to us hoping today, as the Apostle Paul says, Maranatha. Do you know what that means? Come, Lord Jesus. Paul also goes on to say, Awaiting for me is the crown of righteousness that God has promised not just to me, but promised to all those who love Christ's appearing. There's something in the Christian today because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we look about what's going on around us, there's this longing, there's this hope. Is today the day that Christ is going to come back? Do I think about that all the time? No. But do I think about it? Yes. Do I pray about it all the time? No. But do I pray about it? Yes. Would I like to be part of that crowd when Jesus comes back? You best believe so. That's where our text is today. God's promises have turned finally to fulfillment. God's promises always turn to fulfillment. Israel has been visited by God. God is finally on the move again. Nothing's going to stop God. Salvation for sinners has finally come. The blessing to Abraham, the blessing of David has finally come. Hold on for the ride. The cradle of Jesus Christ is going to lead to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of his people. The Virgin Mary's great joy of the news will one day turn to a cry when she sees the sorrow of the cross. The world is in for the greatest blessing and gift God could ever bestow. The bread of life. And that's what we celebrate here today. The whole Old Testament bore witness to this one truth. That Emmanuel would come and visit the world. And with his visit, he would pay atonement for their sins. And in this way... All the nations of the world shall be blessed. The promise to Abraham. Christ has the credentials to be Messiah. Let's go to our text. Verse 18. If you can put that up there, Jackie. I will preach out of verses 18 to 23. Verse 18. Listen to the way Matthew describes this. There's a shift in the writing here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Not like other men is what he's saying. In the Greek that's what it means. There's a whole different change. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together sexually, she was found to be with a child By the Holy Spirit. Matthew is writing his account, as I said already, for the purpose of reaching doubting Jews about Jesus being the King and being the Savior. And to inform believing Jews of their newfound faith. Many people came to Christ. They were touched. They knew they needed salvation. They came to Jesus. And as many of us, when we get saved, all of a sudden it takes years to find out who this Jesus is. That's why Peter says, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All I know when I got saved is I I was forgiven. I knew Jesus is God. I knew the Bible was real. And I knew my sins were forgiven. And ever since that day, God has just been informing me all about it. 
I'm not more saved today than when I first got saved. You're not more saved today when you got first saved. But we should know more about Christ because the more we know about Christ, the more we can love Him. The more we know about Christ, the more we can serve Him. We can honor Him. We can be a blessing to other people. After the genealogy, going back to Abraham and David, which would have placed Jesus in the right lineage, the right pedigree, the Messiah had to come from both. This was an essential to the Jewish prophetic promises in the Old Testament. Now Matthew turns his attention to Jesus' unique genealogy. This genealogy supersedes all others, and we can easily say this. With the genealogy of Jesus Christ, no other genealogy means anything. It makes no difference who my parents were. It makes no difference who my great-grandparents were. The only thing I know that concerns me is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's it. The only one that counts. He says it this way. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He contrasts the difference between regular men who gone before Christ like David and Abraham. And he contrasted with Jesus Christ who was of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that Matthew here doesn't try to convince anyone of the virgin birth. That's important for us to know. Guess why? You can't convince anybody of the virgin birth. All you and I are called to do is proclaim the virgin birth. I talk nobody into Noah. I talk nobody into the ark and how all the the birds got in there. I just proclaim Noah's ark. I leave it to God. He simply states the facts. It would be very good that all Christians and ministers do that. Jesus was supernatural. He wasn't just of this world. He had Mary's human nature as we know. And through the Holy Spirit, we have the divine nature. I'm not going to get into the theology of the God-man. I might speak about that in the weeks to come. This text, though, brings us into a moral dilemma that if you just do a, 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 a cursory read of the Bible, you'll miss out on it. This moral dilemma that is hidden from the text. Mary and Joseph were legally married. Joseph was probably in his early 20s. Mary could have been as young as 13, probably no more than 15 or 16 years old. They had a binding contract. They were betrothed. They just didn't weren't living together, and they didn't seal it with sexual intimacy. But they were legally married. The bride price was paid. The dowry was paid. Joseph's parents probably... Handpicked. This is how it took in the Jewish custom two thousand years ago. The parents of the of the bridegroom would handpick a woman for the son. So I want to enter into this dilemma. Both families were becoming one. They were engaged. There's a contract. There was a small party. The community was excited. It was a festive time. But Mary got this news that her aged aunt, Elizabeth, was pregnant with John the Baptist. That's Jesus' cousin. In haste, she went off to see Mary, to see Elizabeth. And four months later, she came back. 
Guess what? Pregnant. How do you think the community felt about that? How do you think Joseph's parents felt about that? How do you think Joseph felt about He loved Mary. He loved this young virgin girl of 13, 14, maybe 16 years old at the oldest. He loved her. He cherished her. He was betrothed to her. He gave his honor and his place to this young girl. And she ran off to see an aunt. And when she comes back, she's four months pregnant. Joseph, I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Understand something. We know the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you, you have to know who the Holy Spirit is. We grow up since our childhood hearing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Jews 2,000 years ago, they didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. It's only mentioned a handful of times in the Old Testament. And they knew the Holy Spirit as the power of God, not the person of God. It's not until you get to the New Testament, especially in Matthew and Luke, you start seeing the personal dynamic of the Holy Spirit. They had no idea. Something smells in this community. It reminds me of the story. People used to live down the block. There was five of them. Four of them looked just like the mother and the father. But the last one wasn't dark like the rest of the family. They had blonde hair and blue eyes and looked like the mailman. <laughs> so there was always that suspicion around that family down the block. Come on. It's like everybody was in on it, but no one said anything. That's what we have here. Everybody knows something's up, but no one's saying anything. You can see Joseph talking to his parents. His parents are like, we picked her. We had no idea this was in her. Joseph, you have to. You are a righteous man. I know you're thinking about this. I know you're in a dilemma, but you must divorce her. It's not morally right. Joseph, you have to do so. Everybody's talking. You're not the father, are you, Joseph? No, I'm not the father. You have to remember, by this time this conversation's taking place, Joseph has not heard the angel's voice yet. But as he's wrestling with this, he's contemplating this. There's a burden. In the Greek it means he's burdened by this whole situation. He's taking all the information in and he's wrestling because he loves Mary and he's not having an easy time letting her go. There's a showdown. A showdown between love and what's morally and spiritually right in the eyes of God. 
and morally and spiritually righteousness wins out, as it should in God's world. Joseph decides that the best I can do to this virgin I love is to divorce her quietly, to keep her away from the shame of the community, not to bring her to an open, to the gate of the city, and let everybody know she has committed adultery. That's what it would have meant to do. Would have pointed the finger of shame at her, absolutely ruined her reputation for the rest of her life. He could have ruined it for her. But being the righteous man he was, a righteous man that deeply desired her and loved her, at this point in his life, the best thing he could do for her was divorce her quietly. In the witness, in the presence of maybe one or two or three witnesses. And hopefully it would just go away. But this is God's story. <laughs> Praise God. This is God's conflict. It's not Joseph's dilemma. It's God's dilemma. And in God's world, in God's Bible, where there's conflict, there's always resolution. Matthew teaches us the resolution in chapter, in verse 20. But it says, as he's considered these things, as he wrestled in his heart between his love for Mary and its righteous character and that which is the right thing to do, he has considered it. He's going to divorce her quietly. But, aren't you glad the Bible has a but in it? But the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't worry about the shame of what it's going to look like to the community. We know people are talking, Joseph. We know already she's a marked woman, Joseph. We know it's not going to look good, Joseph. We know you can't talk your way out of this one, Joseph. The community knows she left for four months and came back pregnant, Joseph. But do not fear, Joseph. Don't fear men and what they can think or say about you and Mary, Joseph. For I'm telling you, Joseph, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God, by sheer grace... And it's all by sheer grace. Reveals the how of this special child. Application is needed here before I can move on. All God's work in redemption. Don't miss this, please. Every aspect of God's work of redemption needs special revelation from God himself. I don't need God to talk to people and say, you know something? Look at the universe. I believe God made that. Many people would say what? You're right. But if I were to tell somebody, you need to be saved and only Christ can save you, guess what? You need God. Only God can reveal that reality. Only God had the power and the ability to meet Joseph in his dilemma and speak to his heart and convince him with just these words, fear not, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. There's no deliberating going on between Joseph and the angel. 
He fully accepts it. God has revealed it to him. Whether it's Jesus' conception, or as we see in Matthew chapter 16, you remember this one? Jesus said, Simon Peter, who do men say to I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When it comes to Jesus Christ, whether it's virgin birth, his messianic title, or his resurrection, only God can reveal that. Not you and I. Take the pressure off yourself. Just tell people, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. I found myself in a taxi cab with an Uber driver and a Muslim man, and we were having a good conversation, and I know a little bit about Islam faith, and so I always try to get in this dialogue, and it wasn't really going too far, so I simply said this, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. I wasn't trying to convince him. He, he left, but at that point, I was just proclaiming the truth, not trying to convert anybody. That's what Matthew's doing. He's proclaiming the truth. It is not our job to try to convince everybody of everything the Bible says. We are called to simply proclaim the majestic nature of Jesus Christ. That's it. But this revelation has a dual purpose. To reveal Jesus' true identity... And also encourage this righteous young man who is struggling with this moral dilemma not to fear. Don't worry about what other people are saying. No matter how hurtful, no matter how slanderous, no matter how malicious. Keep your head high and sing with all your heart to this unbelieving world that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ is God. Sometimes I hear people witnessing, even myself in my younger days, I was, I, I, I'd be timid like I was trying to sell Jesus. Stop selling Jesus and proclaim Jesus. You don't have to try to sell him. You don't have to try to convince people. Proclaim Jesus Christ as God. Because he is. And leave it to the Holy Spirit. When he said do not fear, he knew what was at stake. He knew if he were to marry this woman, everything would change. His parents would question him. The angel didn't appear to his parents. His parents didn't want to hear, well, you know, an angel came to you. Born of the Holy Spirit. He says, do not be fear, son of David. The son of David is no small consolation, is no small title. This title, like our Ancestry.com people, puts his whole existence as a human being into perspective. Do not miss that. Do not miss it for a moment. This is no small technicality, son of David. All the questions that he could have easily had of who am I or why, what's life all about, becomes abundantly clear for the first time. He understands now. 
He knew that he was a descendant of David. He knew that was a privilege. And he knew he was just going through an ordinary Hebrew life until God got a hold of him and told him, you are the one. You are the one that the Christ is going to come through. Through adoption. You will father this child. You will rear this child. You will grow this child. This is your ministry, son of David. This is why I have you at such a time as this. You are to nurture this child as your own. You are to wed Mary and go through with it. You are to raise more families. It reminds me of the questions I used to ask. Until I walked out of church one day. And I was born again. And those questions just fall away. Now I know why I'm here. Now you know why you're here. Now you know why you exist. You exist to the glory of God. To worship God, not just today, but forever. And to bear witness to his son, the Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. You have a mission. You have a purpose. No matter where you are. No matter where you go. No matter who you're with. You have the revelation that the world needs. That Emmanuel came into the world to die for their sins. There's not a person who claims Christ as Savior that does not have purpose. There's not a person in this room that is saved and born again that does not have divine purpose. Every day has purpose when you are a Christian. Every interpersonal relationship you're in, at work, in family, heartaches, makes no difference, friends or foes, understand something. You have a mission. You have a purpose. His life finally makes sense. He's God's man at God's time for God's purpose. To save Israel. But I like this. It's not from Roman oppression. Where verse 20 says how he was conceived. Verse 20 says, 21 says why he was conceived. He's not even born yet. And he's getting ready to go to the cross. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Which means savior. For he will save his people. From their sins. What an eye opening experience. When we go through Mary's life. And, and Mary proclaims. God my savior. This young couple. Fully understood. The theological ramifications. Of the birth of Christ. It's about personal salvation. This is the worst oppression that man can ever bear. An oppression of sin and personal accountability to God. For we know the wages of sin is death. And as verse 20 gives us the, the how Jesus was conceived, verse 21 gives us the why Jesus was conceived. He was born to die. 
That's who we sing about. That's who we worship. Verse 22 and 23. The verse 20 gives us the how. And verse 21 gives us the why. Verse 22 gives us, or verse 23 gives us the who. Who was conceived that day? None other than Emmanuel, God with us. You try to talk somebody into that. You cannot, and I cannot. The Christian religion is set apart on so many different ways from all the religions and philosophies of the world. And you have to notice one thing. You and I can do nothing to advance the message of Jesus in another life. One inch. Only God can. Matthew is bold in his proclamation. Jesus is God. I wonder how many people are celebrating Christmas today, or this week, or next week, that really believe and worship Jesus as God. Be careful. A lot of people are saying Jesus Christ is God, but has it been revealed to them by God? How do we know? Is there a a litmus test to find out if I really believe that Jesus Christ, virgin conception, and that Jesus Christ is generally God, Emmanuel, God with us? How do I know? Do I really believe in Christmas narrative? Am I truly celebrating the birth of Christ? Has God really revealed to me personally about this event? Can you say with all your heart that Jesus Christ is God? Before you can answer that, we have to know, is he Savior? Because the first thing God reveals to us is that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Then we find out that Jesus Christ is God. It's through the cross And through accepting the work of the cross on your behalf, that I can believe in every other miracle of the Bible. I do not believe in the cross of Christ because someone explained to me Noah's Ark. I do not believe in the cross of Christ because I believe in Genesis 1 and 2 and God and creation. I do not believe in the cross of Christ because David slew Goliath. I do not believe in the cross of Christ because Joshua went over into the promised land. I do not believe in the cross of Christ because Moses went over the Red Sea. I believe in the Red Sea. I believe in David. I believe in Genesis. I believe in Noah. I believe in the flood because I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again on my behalf. That's why we believe. Don't ever find yourself trying to explain the supernatural Uh, the supernaturality of the scriptures. Point people the way the angel just did. He's going to die for his people's sins. Stick to the moral issue. Don't try to explain supernatural events. Me and my wife coming back from Paris a couple years ago, 
and we're sitting down and I'm getting this conversation with this man. I soon find out he's a, a scholar, lecturer up in uh, Cornell University. And so we're having a great dialogue. He's very familiar with theology, well-read man, even very familiar with Calvinism and Arminianism. And so I'm in, in a great conversation with him about Jesus and about the faith and everything else. And we're having a good time. And uh, he was trying to get one up on me, and uh, by God's grace, I had an answer. And then I, I stuck with the moral issue. Him and his wife were listening. I said, but what about your sins? What about the lust in your heart? And what about the greed and the anger? And the two of them got so uncomfortable. My wife was there. All of a sudden, he said, well, we got to go catch our plane. So we took off, and for an hour we were speaking about Providence, and so he left, I didn't saw him again, and I got on the plane, and I sat in my seat, and guess who was sitting right next to me? <laughs> so I simply looked at him, I said, Providence. <laughs> when it comes to the moral dilemma, understand something. Paul calls the cross the shame of the cross. You know, Christ came in under the shroud of shame. And when he was executed, he went outside the city gates and he was executed in the shame of being a criminal on a cross. Do you know when you're born again and you're saved, how people look at us strangely with suspicion and slander and malice because we're born again, we're those born agains and people question our salvation they question our religion because we're not going through all the formalities we just we go to church with our bible and we sing silly songs and they laugh at us and they mock us just they, the same way they did to Joseph and the same way they did to Mary saying oh yeah born of the Holy Spirit you've got to be kidding me the whole Christian religion is shrouded in shame praise God it's the way God designed it. Jesus Christ, please him, and I'll close with this, is specifically meant by God to offend the prideful ignorance and arrogance of sinful mankind. And the only reason we know that is because he was pleased to reveal his son to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this, this wonderful story. We thank you for how you encouraged Joseph through this dilemma, how you spoke to him. And you remind him that he's the son of David, just like you remind us that now we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we're more than conquerors, Father God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We might not have an angel telling us these things, but we have the scriptures, Father, of who we are now. We have the scriptures that prepare us to go into a world and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And praise God. Father God, I just pray that you encourage us in this season, Father God, to all friend and foes to lovingly and simply proclaim that Jesus Christ is God. In Jesus' name I pray.